What's new at Cold Wax Academy? Rebecca and Jerry are wrapping up their winter quarter of online sessions at Cold Wax Academy, where, as always, members have access to in-depth and varied content for learning, growth, and support. Their winter quarter included presentations by guest authors Eric Mazel and Sean McNiff, a painting clinic for works in progress, and live sessions on procrastination, tips on photographing your artwork, and source ideas for your paintings. All of these sessions and many more are available as video recordings in the member library. As a member, you can also access the private Facebook page and the community there of informed and supportive artists who post paintings, ask questions, and initiate discussions. It's never too late to join Cold Wax Academy. Stay tuned for a list of topics to be covered in the upcoming spring quarter, and please visit coldwaxacademy.com for more information as well as basic information about using Cold Wax Medium. Once again, that's coldwaxacademy.com. That's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about art and technology. As artists, many of us honor the age-old tradition of creating our work with nothing more than our hands, a few tools and materials that have stood the test of time. Yet, we also live in a high-tech world, and that impacts all of us. How artists view technology ranges from a necessary evil to a full embrace of its creative possibilities. But we should all understand that technology itself is not a new factor in making art. Today, we'll look at some of the ways technology has been used over time in art and ways to think about it in our current world. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So <laughs> a lot of us artists uh, think of technology in somewhat negative ways, and I would put myself in that category, actually, like we don't always feel really good about it. it it's sort of uh, connected in our minds with social media, with um, electronic devices that can be frustrating, that can seem to rule our lives, uh, kind of connected with the kind of the fast pace of life that we're living in. And dealing with technology can feel daunting. And um, it may not feel very natural to the way that we approach creativity. And as you said in the intro, Ross, that's not true for all artists. I mean, a lot of artists are really uh, working with technology. But there is a, a view in the art world um, that technology can seem like sort of like cheating or taking shortcuts um, as a way to manipulate images or create art somehow not authentic if we don't see the hand of the artist um, because tech ways of using tech and tech applications are seldom like tactile they they usually have a sort of a uh, a digital aspect to them and so they might seem a little bit cold or removed from art forms like like paint or clay so just to start out by saying there's there are different ways of thinking about this and 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 our kind of gut reaction to artwork that involves a lot of technology. So today we kind of wanted to 
maybe counteract that and say, hey, we all use it. Some people use it really well. Um, and it, it's nothing new. It does go back, way back in history um, with technological advances. So I thought I'd start out by just saying the definition of technology, and that is uh, just the application of scientific knowledge to the practical aims of human life. Okay, so for artists, um, what are those practical aims? It's kind of that intersection of um, <clears throat> what's known in terms of science or engineering and how that is used um, in creative output. And so bringing in knowledge that just expands known boundaries of what can be done in the name of art. So it's very broad. Um, and... You know, it does go back quite a long time. And probably the most, the example that stood out to me um, in terms of art history is from the Renaissance times. And uh, we know that Leonardo da Vinci was a great inventor. And he, he knew about many things. Um, and he used uh, technology that actually may go back as far as 400 years BC which is uh, the camera obscura, and that the camera obscura is just a device that uses, um, it's an optical device to project images from the outside world using a pinhole in a dark room or a dark box. And so the um, there's something optically, which I can't begin to explain, but um, the image from the outside world will come through that pinhole um, in reverse. It's upside down, but it's an accurate depiction. And that um, has a lot to do with the way that Renaissance artists, including Leonardo and Vermeer in, in the Northern Renaissance, um, used, uh, developed the use of perspective. So <laughs> a technological device uh, used to advance art and understand how to make things look three-dimensional in space. And so that same device, the camera obscura, eventually led to the development of photography and eventually to film. So there's a progression there from something that's actually really ancient before the Renaissance, um, used in the Renaissance for art purposes and, and is still obviously a part of our lives today. Um, well, and many times when we look at the the technological advances that exist in our modern world, they do have their basis starting hundreds of years ago, oftentimes. And, right. But it's it's all it's very difficult to to project forward with that. So <laughs> if we look <laughs> at is. the technological advances of the past few hundred years, um, and and look at kind of where we are now, it's it's like, well, where are we going to be in ten years, in twenty years? I mean, it's it's really we're we're kind of at a, a a, a very unpredictable moment in in history because of certain advancements that have been made, you know, in, including things like artificial intelligence. I know we're going to talk about like three D printing later. That's another big one. Um, yeah. And so it's it's very hard to 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 determine. Okay, how can I use these these tools now, and how is that going to affect my art practice in the coming decades? Right, and you know, I think that's. Yeah, we're at a moment now, but 
people have always been at that moment, you know. Right. <laughs> did, 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 did the Renaissance artists picture, you know, movies? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> it's never been easy to to determine, okay, what pieces of technology should I be leaning into because it's going to have a, a big impact in, in the coming years. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that this connection with uh, previous technology Another one that I came across when I was, you know, kind of researching for this podcast was, I thought this was interesting, a connection between fiber arts, uh, specifically uh, weaving and tapestries, and computers. <laughs> and that actually um, there was a a, um, a device uh, created in the 1800s to, uh, it was a weaving machine or a loom that, called the Jacquard loom. And... It actually used, it produced the patterns in the weaving from punch cards that were based on a binary system. So oh, immediately wow. you see the connection uh, with, with computers. And the early computers in uh, the 1940s used similar punch cards. <laughs> right, right. People would use them for, for clocking in and out and things like that, right? Punch cards? Punch cards for clocking in and out and also yeah. for, yeah, the basis of the binary language of computers. So I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> and I mean, it's like the connections, there's probably a lot more um, that we can see having been developed and sometimes for art purposes in the past coming forward uh, for other reasons. Um, and so it, it's it's an interesting history. And I, I didn't do a deep dive into it, but um, a little bit. And you know, Andy Warhol comes up in the in the '60s. He started using film and video and techniques related to mass production. Um, in some cases, as kind of commenting on our on the society at the time that he saw as being becoming technology obsessed. <laughs> uh, he also pioneered digital arts in the '80s uh, when that was still a very new. Um, a new area, and there were lots of other artists that that did similar um, things with projection, with television, um, connections between uh, digital music and visual arts, all kinds of things uh, happening in the last, say, 40, 50 years, um, 60 years even, that uh, involve technology and visual art, kind of how they relate, and so it's a huge topic. It's a huge subject. But I think, you know, talking to people that listen to the Messy Studio, um, I would guess that many people listening to this are more involved in traditional ways of using art materials than technology. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of interesting to understand that... You know, Technology has impacted all of us, and it includes things like the materials that we use today have been technological advances. Uh, a lot of them, um, types of art materials, synthetic paints, for example, um, new materials like acrylic paint that we, we mentioned last time in the podcast, uh, that's, I'm not sure about when that first started to be used, but certainly uh, that's a modern type of paint. And even you know certain types of equipment that are just taken for granted in the art world now, like electric kilns or um, just uh, equipment for printmaking. 
Which does go back a long ways, but originally print, printing presses at the time that they came into being, that was, that was huge technological advance. Now we take it for granted. We rely on it. And it, it's kind of an interesting shift in perspective to say what we look at now as, wow, this is really novel. This is really out there. Um, there have always been those things throughout history that artists, you know, either adapted to and accepted and started to use or said, nah, not for me. Um, but over time, those advances have become really accepted. So, you know, what, what about things that are happening today will become totally accepted, totally normal what seems really odd and novel and kind of out there <laughs> and in the art world. I mean, it, it happens in, in all of life, but specifically in the art world. I think it, it maybe gives us hope when we look back at, uh, at the way that technologies that were brand new decades or centuries ago are, are fully integrated into what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that there's, we, we need to kind of accept on some level that, that things are going to change. Like change is, is one of the only constants in, in this world. And mm -hmm. it's and it's not really good for things to stay static. And at the same time there there are dangers in that change and there are pitfalls. And it's it, it's something that we need to accept about kind of the technological progress that we're experiencing is that not everything is going to work and not everything yeah. is gonna work the way we want it and there's going to there's there are going to be triumphs and and there are going to be things that that just fail and uh, and and fail catastrophically perhaps. So it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how things go and and on some level there needs to be like an emotional detachment from it. Mm. You know if you if you go too deep into any one thing and and put all of your marbles in that you know <laughs> then it's uh, things can go wrong. So. Uh, yeah. But we shouldn't we shouldn't be af afraid either to invest into new technological approaches uh, to how we create our work, how we market our work, um, and uh, and because that's that's what it's really going to take in order to get ahead. Yeah, I mean it is part of our world, <laughs> um, and I think as individual artists, it's kind of up to us to decide how much we accept um, the things that don't feel right to any one of us um, to pursue as an artist, you can certainly feel absolutely free to not go down that road. <laughs> um, well, and we have some amount of control because art, the art community is not f very large, really. And and we do have a, a really large social impact compared to the number of people who participate in it. And, mm -hmm. and so it's it's a way that, you know, the, the, the pieces that we grab onto and we say, I'm going to run with this, that that does have an impact on the world around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting um, uh, even seeing some visual artists engaging with AI in, in more creative ways. I mean, not uh, AI gets a lot of bad press uh, for art, but just recently on Facebook, I saw um, a Facebook friend who works in photography, and she is... Uh, experimenting with AI and and saying, you know, it's a tool like anything. You have to learn how to use it for your own purposes. Um, and it's not 
it's not just tech, that technology itself is not bad. It's it's how you use it, and how you use it as an artist is a big topic because you have to bring your creativity to it as well, and not just let it happen. Uh, there's a um, interesting uh, AI installation right now at the Museum of Modern Art um, that's gotten different critical reviews, but basically um, this artist, Rafik Anadol, used AI to interpret and transforms of works of art that are in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And so the AI interpretation is displayed on this gigantic screen. <laughs> and somebody said it's a bit like a lava lamp, you know, <laughs> but you you sit there and, and you just see this um, continual shifting of not recognizable images, really, colors, shapes, that the AI has put together from the collection. So, uh, you know, it's intriguing. And uh, some critics are saying, well, that's that's not really art. But I think you can challenge that the idea of it is, you know, it's it's saying what what would AI do with these all these works of art over time that's that are in the collection. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting. Um, well, let, before we dive deep into kind of the the digital world that we live in now and all of these new technologies that are presenting themselves. Let's talk just briefly about the deals that are available from Blick. Blick is offering spring deals and free offers right now. And there's, there's a ton of really pretty exciting ones. Uh, but there were a couple that kind of jumped out at me. Uh, and that is, uh, right now, um, the, uh, you can get an artist serving artist canvas pouch, uh, when you buy $25 worth of, Encaustico's hot sticks, encaustic uh, wax paints. I know that we have some encaustic artists who who listen to this program, uh, so that might be a good deal for you. We also uh, see on Blick that they are offering a uh, Windsor & Newton metal travel case when you buy any six Windsor & Newton professional watercolor half pans. And with summer coming up and potential travel plans coming up for people, uh, watercolors are a great way to stay active in your art pr practice while you are traveling. Uh, so uh, to get take advantage of those deals, please make sure to use our affiliate link, which is, of course, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. That will take you straight through to the regular Blick website, and there you can find their, uh, their spring deals and free offers. And uh, when you use that affiliate link, Blick will donate 10% to the Messy Studio Podcast, which is just incredibly helpful to us. So once again, that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. B-L-I-C-K. All right, let's get back into it. Yeah, and I, I just ordered from Blick last night, and they also have a, a rebate. I forget the exact amounts, but when you order a certain amount, you get a, a, a gift certificate for 5 or $10 also. So to add to the good deals. And, and hey, here we are talking about these traditional materials, um, which many, many, many of us are very interested in. And I, I think it's it's... It's good to pause and say, well, what does all this, um, what does all this mean when, if you practice with more traditional approaches like most of us do, um, what does all this technological um, based art that's happening today? What does that mean for you? And and I think, I think for me basically is that um, I don't want to I don't want to dismiss it. I mean, I want to be open about it. I want to be curious about it. Um, 
and want to consider it as part of the flow of art history, the, the flow of ideas that happen over time in art. There are always new art forms. And so even if it's something that personally I'm not very interested in uh, pursuing, I, I see uh, interesting things happening. And that's, that's good, I think, to, to keep that positive attitude about it. It doesn't mean that just because it's technology-based, it's good. I mean, you know, it's like anything else. How's it being used? Um, and I think what's important for um, those of us that aren't involved in it is is to, you know, realize it's not going to replace or dismiss more traditional art forms. Um, I think it's uh, always people are going to be drawn to work that they see the artist's hand in it. Um, they feel the connection with the individual person that made it. And there's no, there's not that sort of interface between um, viewer and artist when the viewer is looking at a painting and they can see, you know, the brush strokes or whatever. It, you, you have a connection with that studio activity uh, in a material way that I would say is usually missing in, in um, works that are coming out of technology. Not always, though. I mean, there, there can be exceptions um, to that as well. But, but I suppose for, for those of us that are working in these more traditional forms, um, I, I don't think there's any pressure to, to use technology in order to be more current or more with it or anything like that or contemporary. I mean, we all do what's right for us. And, and recognizing that what we do has this different type of appeal. Um, the other works that are based in, in, you know, digital images and technology, they, they can have this sort of wow factor, you know, because it's a novelty. And, and a lot of times we don't understand how this can even occur. <laughs> you know, like, uh, we might understand the basic idea of something like AI, but, you know, to contemplate how that actually works is mind-boggling. And so when somebody makes a work of art, using new technology, as a viewer, we often feel um, just sort of I don't know, amazed, I guess. There's like this, wow, this this world that we live in, these amazing things that can be done with computers is it's a different form of appreciation, I suppose. Yeah, well and, and tradition is tradition for a reason. And it it stood the test of time and it's established uh and and there's nothing wrong with sticking with tradition as an approach. Um and, and there's also a reason why things that are novel tend to be exciting. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that if we have a, a suggestion for our listeners, it's uh, get excited about what you want to get excited about. If you if you see a new tool and you say, wow, I could do amazing things with that. And that, that's kind of how I am with 3D printing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I keep on seeing the potential of 3D printing getting p pushed further and further. Um, and it's, uh, you know, in particular now, uh, uh, casting and molding with 3d printing is, is something that, that looks like it's being pushed and is, is becoming a really exciting thing, uh, for artists and incorporating 3d printing into, into more traditional techniques as well. 
Um, so there's if you if you see something, you get excited about it, then lean into it. And if if you're not excited about it and you're scared of it, you shouldn't feel pressure to be forced into something that you're uncomfortable with. Yeah. That yes, I think when you when you see that door opening, if it says "Come on in," you know, go for it. I uh, the connection between three D printing and sculpture is is interesting. I came across an artist uh, named Cindy Valdez who I, I don't really know what she's doing, but she's producing clay sculpture uh, with three D printing, and it. I mean, I couldn't even begin to understand the process. But there, but that's what she's doing, and so yeah, I, I think that that intersection of traditional materials with uh, technology or computer generated stuff is is pretty interesting, um, and uh, you know, and basically the uh, one thing I found basically interesting is that when an artist has a concept that they're working with. Um, to say, well, are there traditional ways of expressing this or ex- investigating this along with more technological ways? And an artist that, that came to mind is James Terrell because he's very interested in working with light. I mean, that's whole thing about light and luminosity. And he has created uh, works of art that rely on natural light and um, like, framing views of the sky and uh, with, you know, you're looking up into the sky within a frame. It's very beautiful experience to, to see that from a quiet space looking out. Um, and he's also worked with, uh, ele- with um, electric light, with, with various kinds of um, fluorescent lights and so on to create these environments of color and light and luminosity that are also really gorgeous. So I just think it's interesting that coming from that one idea, he's open to exploring different ways of doing that. And that seems like a very authentic exploration to me. Um, and I'm sure there are other artists who are doing that as well. I presume the artist that I mentioned that's working with 3D printing and clay started as a clay artist, you know, and then thought, oh, okay, what can I, what else can I do? And how could technology impact that? Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot to be intrigued by. And I think to, to stay open to it um, is, is really good. And there, there are these artists that are um, focusing on technology as an art medium, not just assisting not just saying oh there's these tools or or things that are going to help me but technology is the medium and i think that's a leap that is a little bit harder for more traditional artists to to take or to appreciate um rather than this sort of intersection um but i would encourage you know an open mind curiosity um and I, getting back to yes, we all do use this to some extent, and and how can it be useful? Um, one of the things that a lot of artists work with, along with uh, digital images, obviously we we're, we're using digital cameras now, which to take photographs of our work, which is a huge improvement over the old days of 
taking slides and having to bracket your slides to make sure you get a good exposure and all this stuff. I mean, I remember those days not fondly. So now we have digital images and we can edit and manipulate them in various editing programs to get them as as accurate a depiction of our artwork as we can possibly get. Um, and we can share those images really widely, and we can um, use use the images for for websites for marketing. Um, so obviously, technology now allows an artist to participate in a much bigger world um, digitally online with a computer. And what else the computer does for us? I mean, it it opens up a lot of um, kind of research, looking at other artists. Um, Anything we want to know about as artists, uh, materials, tools. I mean, obviously, we can sit and Google things, and many artists do a lot of this and collect images on places like Pinterest where they can, um, you know, generate ideas, make connections. Um, it's it's stimulating, you know, for creativity. There's also a lot of benefits in if you teach art or if you're conducting workshops. If you're a student in a workshop, you're also... Uh, taking advantage of this through the through the instructor, the instructor who is able to do things like make videos uh, of demos or use programs like Procreate, where um, if an if an artist is having trouble with the composition, an instructor can say, "Well, look look at this Procreate here, and I'm going to change your composition a little bit and see the difference." and this is a pretty interesting field. We we um, had the artist Melinda Kutsona come on to Cold Wax Academy uh, a while back and talk about how she uses Procreate um, not only in her own work to work out colors, uh, compositions, but also in teaching. And I mean, I found that presentation fascinating. I didn't end up thinking I wanted to do that for my own work, but I could see what a tool it was. And you can do things like maybe you have a photo or one of a photo of one of your artworks or just a nature photo or something and you're interested in the color that's happening there you can put that into procreate procreate will separate out the colors and basically suggest a palette that you could work with to um to have that co those color themes happening in a new painting um things like that i mean it's just kind of mind-boggling um and People uh, work with Photoshop as an art tool in the same way and drawing and painting programs on their iPads. And, you know, it's, it's like, um, um, yeah, an interesting way of using technology to maybe solve some visual problems that you have as an artist and then and then go to your paint and, and you know, work. <laughs> but uh, uh, interesting stuff, I think. Do you have any suggestions for how people can learn more about Procreate? Um, well, if they're a member of Cold Wax Academy, absolutely listen to that presentation by Melinda because it was fascinating. Um, otherwise, I think there are some probably some YouTube videos. Um, you do need an iPad to use it. Um, maybe a laptop, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure you need a uh, an iPad. Um or a tablet device of some sort, right? Some, some, some sort. Yeah, I don't think it has to be an iPad. Um, yeah, there's a lot of information out there, and I don't know that Procreate is the only 
program that does these things, but uh, certainly works um, really well. So, um, yeah. And, and one other category I wanted to mention just briefly is NFT, <laughs> which anybody who's posting their artwork on Instagram these days will be barraged by uh, people suggesting that they want to buy their work as an NFT. And I understand that a lot of that is basically a scam. I always just delete them. and But a lot of artists are wondering, well, what is this? I mean, I had to look it up. Um, basically, it means a non-fungible token, and it's a digital object that represents something else, such as a work of art. I mean, that's the definition I, I got from the internet. Um, a whole new world. I really don't know much about it, but uh, it's out there. And is there is there value to it? I I personally have no idea. It seems a yeah. little suspect to me. But. Yeah, it I, it it, it kind of does to me too. And I'm I'm significantly more into like the technology and kind of crypto world than you are. Um, but I think it would be I we've had uh, a couple people who we were kind of talking about bringing on as guests to talk about NFTs, and mm-hmm. that's something that we should definitely push for. Uh, but it's it's just been hard to work it out with our schedules. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's that's something that I'd, I'd like to dive into with with somebody who really knows what they're talking about uh for our listeners the, the difference between uh a not an nft a non-fungible token and some it's basically like a form of, of cryptocurrency but what what makes it different is so a fungible token would be a token that's uh exchangeable for any other token so mm. any any other kind of uh, unit of cryptocurrency is basically exchangeable for any other and an nft is non-fungible so it's a, a an nft is a unique token that's not exchangeable for any other token if that if that makes sense to you hopefully it'll make so sense it's, to our listeners. it's not a exchange currency it's something that people somebody has it just to have yes. it <laughs> correct yeah it's it's a it's it's a, a as you say a digital object it, it is it is it is a property that exists um digitally that that only one person has the rights to and and it's so it's a it's a store of value much in the way that artwork is um but i i i'm not sure how functional it is as a store of value and we need to get an expert on to talk about that <laughs> and so. i mean i think anybody any painter or anybody listening to this who makes physical art is probably thinking. I mean, I thought, well, why? What? I mean, you know, it's like something on your computer. Yeah. It's not. It's. It just seems really odd to me. But yes, it's a topic, and it is part of our times. So maybe we'll we'll look at it someday. And um, yeah, it's it's in the face of a lot of artists that are posting online because they get approached constantly. Right. And, and and as we exist more and more in a digital world, it, it may make sense. And and it may make sense that so one of the objections to NFTs is uh you know, I can I can screenshot your NFT and and you use that image, have it in my phone, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's maybe there's a difference between maybe it's significantly similar to the difference between owning an actual Van Gogh and having a print of a Van Gogh in a in a mm. in a poster frame on your wall. Yeah, um, you know, there's there's a difference between the real thing and 
a a duplicate. But yeah. I, I I may be really reaching there. <laughs> you know? a, there's some kind I of just, disconnect there with yeah. I just the way don't that know we normally to, appreciate art. You know exactly like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I I think we should also take a minute to recognize that this podcast is a product of technology and it's a product of technology that has only existed for the last few years. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, so we, we're not speaking in the same room together. We we're, we're speaking into, we each have a microphone that goes into a digital audio recorder that records on an SD card, like you would use in your digital camera. And then Rebecca sends her file over to me and I take my file and I put it into a computer and I, (laughs) I run various filters through it to make it sound really good and and produce something on a single uh, track so that it sounds like we're we're talking to each other in the same room. And and the other thing is that we're we're communicating, the way we're communicating is with cell phones yeah. with with touch screens. And so we're we're able to kind of share notes and things like that as we're recording on our screens in front of us while we're talking through them. And these are technologies that didn't exist until a very short period of time ago. Yeah. And then, and then I, I produced that file and I distribute it on an RSS feed, which uh, most people listening to this have no idea how an RSS feed works and they don't need to because it just pops up on their phone whenever there's a new episode. I know. And that's all so, that they really need to know. <laughs> there's so much. If you look behind so many of the things that we take for granted now, you know, what's behind that? And... And each piece of that is a technology that goes back, you know, maybe just a few years, but the basis for it goes back decades, maybe even centuries. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at the the technology that goes into recording audio, that's that goes way back. And so yeah. it's it's uh it, it but there's these incremental changes that lead to this point where we're able to produce this content with without a whole lot of need for uh, you know, I mean, this is the kind of content that that could only pr- be produced in a very specific setting and distributed on a a very specific kind of regional basis. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, we're just not a few we're not a ago. radio show, <laughs> right? And we wouldn't even be able to do a radio show with the resources that we have available to us mm-hmm. if if these technologies didn't exist. And and it's it's breaking down a whole lot of walls in in photography in in cinematography. Uh, in music uh, and 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 in a lot of forms of of visual and non-visual art. So I, I it's like this is this is the world that we live in and appreciate right now. And what is coming may seem scary right now, and it, and it may really be scary. I don't want to discount that possibility, right? <laughs> but but it 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 does also have potential for incredible improvements to our lives. It does, and you know I think. Many of our listeners, myself included, are in our older years, and to appreciate the change, all we have to do is look at our own lives and how much has changed um, in our own recent memories and, and going back even further, and to stay kind of open and accepting and interested can be a challenge. I mean, it's it's easy to think, oh, what's coming up? You know, the world is changing so much. My mother always used to sigh and say, why is everything always changing? <laughs> and, you know, you can feel that and and sort of think, well, these things are not not helpful, not good, but they are. And to 
to remain open um, and possibly bring some of those into your own um, own world as tools, you know, makes sense. All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Well, I, it's a huge topic, and, and I would say technology is really too broad a term to even talk about in any one way in the art world. I mean, we've been we've been touching on various things. Uh, we all use it to some extent, and you, as a listener, may have sort of a love-hate relationship to it, depending on your own creative inclinations, but um, some people listening today might find it exciting and inspiring to to look a little bit further into ways that it could be used creatively. Um, but all of us can understand how it helps in communication with our art, with marketing, with getting our work out there, with sharing it with other people in different ways. Um, and I think just, you know, understanding what it means to you, um, being open to the changes that are happening at least to appreciate them in the flow of art history, the flow of art ideas um, that, you know, I think it's always good to understand that art is a changing environment and we are just one little speck in that incredible flow of ideas from the beginning of time. So <laughs> there we go. That's a big idea. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at ColdWaxAcademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out RossTickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.